Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Jacob. Jacob made a terrible mistake. He went to the catacombs first when he got to Firelink Shrine instead of going to Undead Burg. I think we can all identify with that. Uh, Jacob and I sat down and talked about his history with the Souls games and had a great time doing it. Um, it's always fun to talk about <laughs> the Souls games in terms of how many mistakes you've made. As always, I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. So go ahead, listen. I guess it would have been the fall of when did when the first Dark Souls came out in September 2011, something like that. Is it, that right? uh, I want to say it came out around the time that Skyrim came out, which is like fall that November 2011. Like I, I remember picking it up on like yeah. New Year's Day of 2012. So mm, yeah, okay. Well, though that makes a lot of sense because it would have been like the summer, like probably yeah September, late September of 2011. And me being the person that I was in 2011, um, I was extremely excited for Skyrim. I had like the full pre-order going. I had that giant box with the stupid dragon statue. <laughs> um, and um, I was waiting for that game to come out. And you know how when you're waiting for a game to come out and you like need something to fill the space between whatever you have right now and the game that you're excited for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was looking for like, okay, fantasy RPG games. I think I just Googled that into into Google and Dark Souls came up because it had just come out, right? And um, I did a little bit of Google searching and I really didn't get very much because at the time it was really new and not a lot of people were talking about it. Um, And uh, I think the two things that came up were like a weird... Um, ad campaign for the game that I haven't been able to find since then where they had broken up the intro cinematic into like four different tiny videos and <laughs> were posting <laughs> weird and I, okay. that, was, that, was, that was just really confusing to me because if you don't know anything about Dark Souls those that, that intro cinematic is already a little bit like on the nose <laughs> um, and then I've, the other thing that came up was um an epic name bro video because he had already put up some videos of that before it could come out in the West because he was playing it on the Japanese version, I think. So I didn't click on the videos because I didn't want the game to be spoiled for me, but I, I went, I went ahead and bought the game because I had the spare cash and I, I plugged it in. This is probably like a, maybe like two weeks before Skyrim came out. And, um, I plugged it in. I played a bit of it. Um, and, that's a whole story into itself. So I guess I can go into that right now. But basically, um, I did exactly the opposite thing you're supposed to do at the beginning of Dark Souls 1. Um, it's, it was just, it, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you, you, went to, you went to Skeleton Town <laughs> instead of going uh, upstairs. Yeah, I, I, I have this habit that when I play video games of like really beating my head against them. So... I, 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 you know, you go through the tutorial. The tutorial is pretty straightforward, so not a big deal. You, you jump on the asylum demon, you get crushed by the boulder. <laughs> it all kind of goes along, and the, the plot's really cryptic if you've never done these sorts of games before. So, especially for me, expecting like a Skyrim type thing where they literally give you all the information you possibly need. Um, so, I get to the Firelink Shrine, 
And I go, okay, skeletons, right? Skeletons are usually an easy enemy to kill in these games. And then I keep getting killed by the skeletons. And I think I picked a knight as my first character or a warrior or something like that because I like swords. <laughs> uh, um, I have a friend that I should introduce you to who also likes swords. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I listen to a lot of your guys' podcasts, so I think I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, but anyways, I'm, I'm down there. I'm trying to skill, kill the skeletons. Sorry, I'm stuttering a little bit. Um, and I just, I keep getting completely destroyed by them, right? So I'm like, okay, so video games, right? I think if I can't kill them with my weapon, there must be like another thing I can do. So I start looking around Firelight Shrine, and I don't understand any of the mechanics of the game at this point, right? Because there's no tutorialization. So I know I can swing my weapon with R1, and I can swing it harder with R2. So I'm wandering around Firelink Shrine, and I open up that chest that gives you a Mooring Star. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, I, have, I have some previous, I have like general like fantasy RPG knowledge. So I'm like, okay, maybe like, maybe like the blunt damage from the Mooring Star will do bonus damage to the skeletons. Which I don't think that, I don't know if that's actually how it works in Dark Souls 1. But regardless, I, I equip the Mooring Star and I go down to the, I go back to the, to the graveyard, right? And I'm, I swing, I'm swinging it with R2, which is that like big one-handed overhead smash with the Mooring Star. Mm-hmm. And um, I realize that if I hit them with the R2, it, it scatters the skeletons into a bunch of pieces, but it doesn't kill them. So I'm like, okay, maybe this is like an intended game mechanic. Maybe I'm supposed to have grabbed this Morning Star and use the R2 attack to break the skeletons up so I can run past them, <laughs> which is which is completely <laughs> ridiculous, right? Like that's not how it's supposed to go at all, but. No, I mean, like, that's, that, that makes good sense that, like, if you, like, the game gave me a weapon, right? Like, and and now I'm using it to demolish these skeletons. Like, that's a, that's perfect. Yeah, I I totally get that. Yeah. So I'm doing that, right? And I'm like, okay, so I can't kill them, but I can get past them and I can knock them down with this Morningstar. So I, I, I painstakingly, like, I'm still dying every now and then, but I'm making more progress. But I'm basically just knocking skeletons over and running through the, through the graveyard. And I basically use that strategy, which is just knocking skeletons over so they're not in my face and they have to take a second to get back up and then just sprinting to the next room and then doing the same thing. So I managed to do that. Um, This is like over the course of like several really frustrating hours. Um, I managed to do that all the way through the catacombs to pinwheel. Um, and I don't even think I fig- I've, I've, I've found the bonfire now that I'm thinking about it. So I'm running through the catacombs every time doing this stupid like half speed run strategy and I get to pinwheel at the end of it. And pinwheel's not a very difficult boss in that game. <laughs> he's, he's pretty gimmicky. But um, when you haven't leveled up yet because you don't know how to do that and all you have is this Morningstar that you've been using the wrong way to smash, <laughs> to smash skeletons... <laughs> Um, he's uh, he, he could be a pretty difficult boss, right? So I, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't, mean to, I don't mean to laugh, but like that's the, you know, the on this podcast a lot. I hear people, oh, I went to the skeletons and I got I got killed, and then I've realized, oh, I need to go upstairs. It's it's very very rare for anybody to ever go all the way through the catacombs and to make it to Pinwheel as the first boss, which is kind of I think where Pinwheel should be fought. Like if you want an actual challenge out of him, like that's a that makes that into a really fun and difficult fight. Yeah. 
So I the the long and short of it is I did eventually kill Pinwheel um, with that character. It, I, I played that was probably in the course of one evening. Was that whole that whole Dark Souls experience? Was I bought the game and that was that was what happened? And I played it pretty much all night long because at the time I was that basically did nothing but play video games. So that was. You know, that's just what I would do. So I played the game for several, several hours and eventually like goofed my way through the through the the catacombs and killed Pinwheel. And then after Pinwheel, I'm like, okay, what's this dark place? So I Oh no. I, I take I take like ten steps I take like ten steps out into the darkness and I see like weird glowing eyes and I get killed by the giant skeletons that are down there and I'm like, Oh, okay, well maybe maybe this game isn't Maybe this game just isn't isn't well designed. This feels way too difficult for a first level, and so I actually that was that was my first run through with Dark Souls was getting to the Tomb of the Giants on a brand new character, and then not progressing any further than that on that particular character. Um, I put the game down and I I basically didn't touch it until a little while after Skyrim came out. So. Uh, first blush with Dark Souls definitely was a bit of a, a bit of a tough time for me. Um, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that, yeah. I can't. What did did you ever go back to that character? Did you just start a new character? Because like getting stuck in the catacombs, uh, like that's a that's a really difficult journey out. Like no matter how you you try to cut it, like it's a really hard. It's really hard to go backwards to get back to Firelink. I I've done it. I've had to do it before, and it's and it's terrible. It's not a good time. Um, yeah, no, I did come, like, because what happened was Skyrim came out, and I played it for a little bit, and then um, I was just kind of on YouTube looking at game videos, and I saw, because um, I like to put on, sometimes when I'm playing games like that, they're, they have, like, big mindless sections, I like to put on, like, a video in the background of podcasts or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I found um, I found some videos on Dark Souls, and sure enough, it was... Um, it was uh, it was more epic name bro videos because this was like I think right when Dark Souls came out was like when he first really blew up in popularity and then a lot of other people kind of followed along with him. If uh, that, at least that's my perception of it, I don't know if there were other people who were just as big as him when it first came out. I'm not exactly sure. There was a it was definitely E and B was like the biggest name at the time. Uh, Vadi came came way later, and uh, there was also a woman named. Uh, who was going by Chaos Witch Quaylog? I think, or maybe just Quaylog on, yeah. on YouTube. Um, yeah, I definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she was I definitely doing stuff. saw some of her videos too. Yeah. yeah, but it was really like yeah. if if you would if if it, you were talking to people like a majority of the time you were getting E and B theories right because that was like the prevailing what ha- like was like the pre- everyone was taking his stuff as gospel at that point. Yeah. So what happened was I, I found those videos and I'm like, okay, I'll just put these on because I. I I'm interested to see what this game actually was after that point. And he's not in a tomb of darkness, killing giant skeletons or dying to giant skeletons. He's like off in some area of the game, just completely styling on everything because he's Epic Name Bro. And the thing that nobody talks about, about Epic Name Bro is that he's actually really, really good at playing Dark Souls. Um, so, and the thing that he did for me, which is a lot of people talk about how his like lore stuff is really interesting, but I think he's actually way better at just teaching people how to play these games. Because he, he would go over like, he went over like, oh, this is kind of like, 
you, this is like, and he was in the, he was in the London parish at the time. So immediately I realized I've been doing something wrong. Um, and I'm not going to go over like watching all the videos and all that stuff. Cause I kind of just did that and got a little bit more interesting going back to dark souls. So I went online and I just Googled like what to do at the beginning of dark souls. Cause I couldn't figure it out on my own. And, um, they basically said, Oh, go up to the other parish instead of the skeleton area. That's bad. <laughs> and and it's basically just the general basics of what you should do at the beginning of the game. And, um, I went back in with that character. I realized that I couldn't get my, get myself out of the catacombs. <laughs> like it was just too much of a tough time. So I started a new character and, um, I kind of just like the game just kind of clicked for me as soon as I got to the area that I was supposed to go to. <laughs> which makes sense you know? sure yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah oh this is the path of least resistance okay this makes way more sense yeah, yeah. so you know you go up to the under parish and it's just the game is like it, when, you, when you've been beating your head against unkillable skeletons the game is a lot easier when you just go kill those guys that only take one or two hits from your sword to kill the game's still hard when you've never played these sorts of games before but it's yeah it's it, it's a lot easier and it kind of got its hooks into me and then i pretty much just dropped Skyrim and mainline Dark Souls from that point on, much to the um, disappointment of my friends who had no idea what Dark Souls was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I played, a, I played a lot after that point. I probably put, like, all told, I, I probably put over a thousand hours into the first Dark Souls game, so it was a lot. Um, so is that uh, New Game Plus, you know, 127, or is that different builds or different, different platforms you were playing I, on? Well, no, I only ever got to play Dark Souls on my Xbox 360. So, okay. unfortunately, I never, I never got to enjoy the the PC version or anything like that. Um, but um, yeah, it was just because I got really into PvP um, and co-op to some extent. But I got just really into the PvP because it it just seemed so cool, like and interesting compared to other games I played before. I've never played a game that has like a I, at that point, especially, I'd never played a game that had PvP like Dark Souls did. Like the, my my biggest um, experience with PvP up to that point was like maybe playing a fighting game with some friends in a basement somewhere, or like a Halo game. You know, like never yeah. like a oh somebody's invading my game. Like what does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> it was such a such a weird and like I know it was in Demon Souls, but for especially for 360 players, because I was in the same boat. I've, I've pretty much always, all, most like 99% of my time with Dark Souls is on the 360 and uh, just no real multiplayer experience outside of like casual racing games or whatever. And then, you know, invading someone coming into my world. Like what, who is this person? What, what is this? Like what, what could this possibly mean? And realizing like, Oh, that's a whole other player that came in here to kill me was kind of mind blowing at the time. And just like, wow, what is this? I've never, I've never, I've never even heard of this before. Yeah, yeah. I, I I remember my first invasion, like first time getting invaded. It was it was like it was it was crazy because like I didn't really understand the. This was before I understood the human versus uh, hollow mechanic in Dark Souls One, and um, I was in the not is it the is did I get the names backwards? Is the the sewer area called the catacombs or is it is the it the sewer area is the is the depths. The depths, yeah, that's it. So I'm in the depths, right? And there is a scripted invasion in the depths. It's um, it's Knight Kirk, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I get invaded by Knight Kirk in the depths, and the depths is already a pretty like 
it's it's a really tense area the first time you've played it or at least it was for me because it's really difficult to see like a far distance ahead of you down there so you never really know where there's an enemy around a corner or something plus there's those stupid muck monsters that fall from the roof don't get me started on those mm-hmm. um but um i'm in the depths and i'm wandering around that that like second level where there's the and you start seeing all of these weird statues all over the place right and i'm wandering around i haven't encountered the basilisk yet so i'm like oh what's the deal with these and then there it is flashing at the bottom of my screen um invaded by kirk knight of thorns or whatever mm-hmm. And I know it was just a an NBC invader, but I didn't know it was. I thought it was like another player. So I I start freaking out. So he, he appears, he's this spiky red guy out of nowhere, and I'm I'm like, oh god, what is this? And so he he starts walking towards me, and I try to fight him at first, but I'm like so tense and like gripping the controller so tightly that I'm just not able to play the game properly. So. I'm like, oh my god, this is too tough, I can't do this. So I just start running away from him and trying this weird kiting strategy where I just run backwards, wait for him to come towards me and stab him with, like, do the, the big R2 stab with the long sword, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and that was, I, so I was trying to kite him that way, and I'm running backwards away from him because he keeps rolling towards me. And um, I'm busting through all these boxes, and then all of a sudden there's all of these weird monsters with weird giant yellow eyes that are breathing this strange dust at me that I have no idea what it means. <laughs> and I see this. I, <laughs> I don't know if you're specifically telling me all these stories because that'll make me laugh. Like this is such classic dark souls dot TXT that I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I can't help but laughing. Like it's so great. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's because it, this is, this is the experience, right? This is what the first time through dark souls is when you have no idea what anything means is <laughs> just, it, it, you bumble your way through all these situations and you either die or you, get through them and you still don't understand anything that just happened but you're just glad you made it through um but yeah so he's coming at me and these things are jumping all around and i see this bar start to build up at the bottom of my screen and i'm like oh god i don't i don't want to know what that means so i just keep running and eventually i get past the black the basilisk into like i think I, i don't remember exactly where it is in the catacombs but i was in a corner so i had to fight the invader and I managed to kill him just barely, and I had no health left. But then there's just, and then, but because I've ran through like this entire area of the catacombs, there's all of the basilisks just start running around the corner at me after I kill the invader, and I do die. But it was, it was just that first time being invaded, like how tense it was. I just, I was really like freaked out at the time it happened. But afterwards, I was like, oh my God, that was like the most fun thing that's ever happened in a video game. <laughs> I need I need more of that. After uh after that happened to me because I had a very similar experience minus the uh, curse frogs because I I kind of came up on him from the other direction so I was able to go into like that open room with the slimes. Uh, but I killed him. I was able to to defeat him and I was extremely excited about it. And I went to um at the time I was really into posting on something awful like the Dark Souls thread on something awful was basically my second home. So uh I, I posted on the something awful forums and I have a screenshot of this somewhere that I can post up, but uh, it just says uh, I beat my first invader today. Fuck you. Night Kirk. And like just a hundred messages, like just going low, 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 you, you idiot. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was just convinced it was a person. Like I had no idea. Yeah. That's how I felt until I like went online and 
just realized that, oh, the game has NPC invaders. Because I went online immediately and I was like, okay, I need to know everything there is to know about this invasion mechanic. I need to know how I can make it happen more because it's fun, to me at least. I know a lot of people have the exact opposite reaction to being invaded, which to me is kind of a shame because I feel like it's kind of like the intended experience. Like I feel like that's what the developers want you to feel. They want you to feel tense in the moment. Then after it's over, they want you to get this like rush of like, Oh, like, Oh, that was super fun. I want to do that again. But I know a lot of people just have the exact opposite response, which is fine. Like that's one of the good things about these games is that you can kind of avoid that sort of thing if it doesn't work for you. But I do feel like that they kind of want you to experience that stuff. And maybe that's not exactly true, but that's just the way I see it. Oh no, I definitely think um, that there's they're they're purposely because the first Dark Souls like the difficulty has been so um, so just overinflated uh, because it's it's not a particularly difficult game. It was just having to come to terms with like how obscure the game was and how you know just and being patient more than just being a pure action game. So you get to something like the Gaping Dragon, which. I know a lot of people that's a, that's a roadblock for them. Like that's a, it's a huge thing. I don't know how to hit it or whatever, but you get to the point where, Oh yeah, well now I know exactly what I'm doing. I know how to avoid these attacks and I can just knock that fight out in, you know, three minutes flat or whatever. So it's, it's that initial difficulty, that sense of satisfaction of overcoming a big obstacle. And then that coming back around and realizing that that wasn't, it was, it's never going to be an obstacle for you again. Like it, it comes up again when like, you know, the Taurus demon shows up as four or five Taurus demons in the, in the, the yeah. lava place. I don't, the demon, yeah. I can't remember. Demon ruins, I think. Demon ruins. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, but it, you know, that, that, that cycle is definitely, I feel like intentional. Yeah. It's definitely, it's a little bit different with invasion just because I think you can get really unlucky and end up being invaded by a bunch of people who just really know what they're doing. And those people, like, I'm not going to pretend that I'm great at being at, at PvP. I'm like, okay. I, I, I got pretty good at it for a little bit. And then ever since then, I've kind of been declining and just attention span enough to be as good as I was. But um, like, you run into those people who just know exactly what you're going to do before you do it and land every single parry or just never miss with their weird like abilities and stuff like that. And you just end up being kind of screwed. Right. So (laughs) if you run into a bunch of those people, it can be really, it can be really disappointing. I think because the whole point of an invasion is that it's supposed to be tense. I feel like, and if you just run into these things, just kill you instantly every time when you feel like you have no hope, then it kind of loses its, any sort of meaning it's supposed to bring to the situation, I feel like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Tell me a little you bit about the, uh, the the story of these games, because we've kind of been focused on like the mechanics and stuff, but you mentioned watching E&B's videos and everything, but um, were, you, were you kind of pulled in via the story, or was this something that you were just kind of pure, like you, you were just ignoring all of that stuff and going straight for the gameplay? Well, see, that's tough to say, because the first time I, I picked it up, obviously... I had no idea what was going on. I knew immediately I was really interested because the the stuff that they set up with that intro cinematic with the, like the mythology and then um, and then just the general aesthetic of the game is something that's really always brought me in. And so those things two combined together were um, really uh, they were really interesting to me. But I just I had a really hard time parsing any of it at first because I wasn't used to playing that sort of game. Right, so. It was tough to get any sort of story out of it at first, but once I started to pick up on stuff, which was just a combination of me realizing that items had 
descriptions on them. And, <laughs> um, and then um, me watching videos while I played because I would, what I would do is I would play through an area and then I would watch a video of stuff in it. So to see maybe if there was anything really important that I missed. Um, and then I did get the story through that because I was watching, I was watching an indie playthrough and he, he does go over a lot of just like what's in the game. I remember when baddies videos started coming out. Um, I started watching those and those were just eye opening, right? Like the first time you watch that Tarkus video, you're like, Oh, I guess that was a whole character that I didn't understand. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's the one that I always go back to as, as a perfect example of like, you know, opening your eyes to the story of Dark Souls, right? Like that's the one that yeah. I always uh, <laughs> like, oh, wow, this is a whole dude. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. Like, and uh, eventually I, I started picking up on all that stuff, but I was really invested in the story. I think by the time the DLC was about to come out, um, that was kind of the peak, like, I had gotten past the gameplay. Like at that point I played a ton of PvP and I was I was good enough at the game that I didn't really have a problem with a lot of it anymore, but I was just really excited for new content, right? And I, all, there were all these rumors about this is before Artorias of the Abyss was even announced. Everyone was talking about how like, oh, maybe he's going to be in the DLC. That would be really cool. <laughs> and then sure enough, the DLC gets announced and I think the first image they showed was just a pic like that picture of Artorias from behind just of, like by himself and just like a black background mm -hmm. um and everyone just lost their crap on the forums that I was on like it was just it was just insane and everyone was just champing at the bit for that content and as soon as it came out I was like I was all in like I, I was I was watching theory videos on on YouTube and I was trying to read item descriptions to figure it out like like once I was in on the story, I, I've, I was in, and ever since then, with all the other games, I've been um, I've been really interested in the stories that they that they kind of that they produce, right? And it, it it's it's definitely affected the way I look at other games too. It's like there's a there's just there's a there's a the depth of storytelling to Dark Souls that is just very different than other games do. I'm not going to say it's always good. See Dark Souls three, but um, it's uh, it's definitely different. <laughs> i like i like everyone that comes on this podcast now just has like a like a just a, a very careful like side side burn to dark souls 3 as they're talking about dark souls story like it almost always happens nowadays and it's really funny to me yeah i actually really i'm still like i don't want to say i'm a dark souls 3 defender because i feel like those people exist and a lot of them are really awful <laughs> but um the I, I will say that I don't think it's that bad. I think that a lot, it gets a bad rap, but I think it's still fine. It's just not, it's just the, the problem with it is that it's just kind of the same thing again. Not that it's bad. It's just that it's not exploring new themes as opposed to bringing them to the table for the first time. It's been really interesting. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the camp of um, if, it, if it was cut from the game, it was probably for the better. Um, but it's been really interesting following people pulling out cut content and finding out like just how dramatically different the end game of, of dark souls three was going to be. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if you've seen any of that stuff, but like a whole different boss, like soul of cinder was apparently a relatively late addition to the, to the game. And they created that area specifically for that fight to, to have a different area. Like it was supposed to, you were supposed to be in the, um, untended graves for a third time in a different cycle or something to fight the, the final boss which was going to be a sullivan slash aldrich figure as opposed to the soul of cinder and it just seeing all that stuff it makes me wonder 
how how troubled a development it was because it came out quick like it was a it was a pretty fast release especially after bloodborne and dark souls 2 and and scholar of the first sin so just thinking like i wonder if that game didn't land as well with the souls fans as it did because it was just had such a dramatically like turbulent development history like they had, were making all of these crazy changes and when, when you start doing stuff like that it's really hard to get kind of the story of dark souls one right like where it's where it feels everything feels intentional right like so like any th- single thing that is in an area feels like it's there for a reason versus holy crap we have a deadline like we need to we need and we need these four goals to meet to meet to, so we can get this much money da, 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 like how probably a business works right so i'm just I, I hate to dog on on dark souls 3 a lot nowadays because i actually really like playing that game like it's a really fun game to play uh i just i just get tired of and I feel like the bonfire side Jack boys went through this probably the worst of like trying to figure out what stuff means when it's, there's not a whole lot of meat on that bone. Yeah. I feel like there is, there's, there's meat on the bone, but it's really, really tough meat to get through because you have yeah. to, you really have to, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's not, it's not as deep as it was in the other games. Like the depth that dark souls three has is the other games. It's not, it's not inside of dark souls three itself. And that in itself is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could talk about that for the rest of this this, <laughs> this thing, but I, I feel like that's probably something that other people have done. Like I, I kind of, when I was originally planning on being on your podcast, I kind of thought, oh, I'm going to bring all these lore theories to the table, and then I, I decided that's probably not the best way to spend this time. Because I have a lot of thoughts about stuff. But, yeah, I, I'm kind of curious. Like, um, I mean, we don't have to go through every one of them, but like, what's do you have like a, a favorite lore theory that you've been you've been thinking about for a while? I love hearing people's like, um, crazy ass lore theories. So don't don't even feel like you need to back anything up either. Like, <laughs> screw all the haters that want you to have evidence. I just like crazy lore theories. So, well, I had a lot of theories about how. Okay, this is going to sound crazy, but I think there was another person on your podcast before that was talking about it. But I got really into like the mythology of these games, and a lot of it has to do with like how they represent the like the deities or like the godlike figures, right? Because there's a lot of like it feels like there's a lot of mishmash of different cultures going on in those. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Dark Souls Three, there's this whole thing with like the Lothric royal bloodline and all that stuff, and like, oh, where's their mom? And like, is it Guinevere? Is it not Guinevere? Is it Guinevere's daughter? Um, and then I, I don't remember where I read this initially, but someone was talking about how in a lot of those old mythologies, like the, the deities kind of didn't really have one set. And this is kind of a weird subject to talk about it, considering today's climate. Um, but like deities didn't really have genders the way that we think about them. Like they kind of shift in between them based on the stories people were telling. Like in Greek mythology, you even had um, gods that just birthed things on their own without even having to be like Zeus has a baby out of his head one time, I think, in one of the, yep. in one of the, in one of the stories. So like that got me thinking about stuff and how like um, is it, I can't ever remember what his name is or I don't know what the it's confusing in the game because I don't know what it is. But um, Gwendolyn, the the like the one living child of Gwyn in the first game, right? The guy mm-hmm. you fight at the end of that long hallway and it's an annoying process. Um, he's, um, he's supposedly like able to just kind of, he's like a shapeshifter and there's all this weird stuff going on with him. Like there's all these themes inside of that of like, he's like, 
he was raised as a as a as a as a uh, as a woman, even though he was born a boy or whatever. I don't remember exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was raised under game. under the moon, which is which was identified as like a like a more feminine thing for for whatever reason. Is the way that the text yeah. from, from the game describes it. Yeah, and so that got me thinking about a lot of stuff in regards to Dark Souls Three because Gwendolyn is in the game, but um, Guinevere is not. So a thought I had was that maybe Gwendolyn is actually the other parent of the Lothric twins. Because if you look at the Lothric twins, they have certain characteristics that Gwendolyn has, like even um, the the smaller one of them. I can't remember his name. Is it Lorien is the small one or is it Prince Lothric that's the smaller one? Lothric is the small um, one. He kind of, he has like, he even has the same voice actor, which is something that a lot of people don't, or maybe people have brought that up before, but, um, and he uses similar styles of magic to, to Gwendolyn. Like it's a different, it's like a different element, but it's the same sort of like create a bunch of little soul like spears around you that shoot at people. Um, and he's it, 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 like the similarities are kind of there. And I've never really dug into the evidence enough to find out if anything is there, but it, it kind of there's this whole like intertwining like who's whose parents thing that you can go into with that like I don't know I I had a lot of thoughts about it that I was going to put together but I just never got around to it because I kind of got really fed up with Dark Souls three lore theories after a while. <laughs> what, um, is it because of just what we're talking about? Where like there's there's meat on the bone, but it's pretty tough to get at, and once you get at it, it doesn't necessarily taste great. Exactly. Like, and there's a lot of stuff that people have brought to the table that I just don't like. Like, there's that whole thing where people talk about how Solaire is that giant worm, and every time somebody says that, I just cringe in my mouth a little bit. Like, it's just it's just this, this shiver that goes through my entire body. I don't, <laughs> I don't care if Miyazaki himself gets up on a stage at E3 and says Solaire is a worm. I, I am not going to believe it. <laughs> like, I'm just going to refuse. No. I, I just don't care. Like, I'm sorry. Like, that's not, that's not, there is no Matrix 2 and 3. Those movies never happened, and Solaire is not a woman. <laughs> <laughs> those are, those yeah, are two exactly. <laughs> Like the the one thing that they did with like that's the, he's the the reference to Solaire in Dark Souls Three is one that I think is actually fine. Is you find some sunlight talismans around, you can get his abilities, you can get his armor through trading with the crow. But like he's not in the game, like and that's fine. I don't think he needs to be in the game. You can get his stuff. That's cool. It's fun to dress up, but like. I, it, I'm glad that he's just not like, oh, he's the final boss or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because if, if uh, it, like, they brought back characters, certain characters, then it, it works and it doesn't work depending on other things. But, yeah. Um, maybe, it, yeah, we could talk about some of the other games, too, because we've kind of gone through Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 3, but there's there's two other ones that I... I haven't played Demon Souls, but Dark Souls 2 and, Dark, and Bloodborne I definitely have. I definitely have thoughts about those as well. Let's start with Dark Souls 2. Tell me your thoughts on, on Dark Souls 2. Um, so I, I liked Dark Souls 2 a lot. I did not like it as much as Dark Souls 1. Um, and I knew that immediately when I first picked it up. I was like, oh, this just feels... This doesn't feel like Dark Souls 1. And I feel like Dark Souls 1 has, has like a very specific feeling to it. So it, it, when you're not... Like, it just wasn't quite up to the same level. And I, I did eventually grow to, like, the differences. But Dark Souls 2 feels like such a different game than the other games do. Like, it, it feels like it was built to be a different game, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, just the, way, just the way the combat looks and the way it feels in your hands, which is 
Yeah, and and even the way the enemies act, like it's all very different. Like it almost feels like it was supposed to be like not a Dark Souls game. And then they kind of threw the Dark Souls paint job over top of it at the end and put all the lore in. But like it just, to me, it, it feels like a different game. And then, yeah, it, it has a lot of the same stuff in it. Like the story's fine. I, I like the story of Dark Souls 2 just well, just fine. It, it, I think it's very good, especially when they wrap everything up in those DLCs. But um, yeah, the game just doesn't, it just never clicked right for me in the way it feels, which is funny because I put just as much time in Dark Souls 2 as I probably put into Dark Souls 1 because it was still a better game than anything else I had at the time. But it just, it never quite clicked right for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I've, I've said this before on the podcast, so listeners will probably get bored of me hearing this, but uh, I've always wondered if you just called Dark Souls 2 Dragon Souls and, you know, had some like, you know, patches is there, or there's a Moonlight Greatsword, just like there's a Moonlight Greatsword in uh, uh, Armored Core, right? Like, just have those those connection connecting tendrils, but not necessarily have, you know, the Sunlight Altar or whatever, if that game would have gone over better with people. Yeah, like, there's definitely a couple throwaway references in Dark Souls 2 that don't really make a lot of sense, um, and ones that people really tried to figure out and make sense of that I feel like are just there for the fans. Like, there is no reason for Ornstein to be in that cathedral other than him just to be like, oh, hey, remember Ornstein? He's cool, right? Let's see if you can fight him by yourself um, <laughs> or by himself. <laughs> and then they did it again in Dark Souls 3. <laughs> like they, yeah, exactly. they, they love that Dragon Slayer, man. They love him to death. Yeah, <laughs> they do. They, they, they really like him. Um, but, um, I mean, he is cool. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and like the Sunlight Altar, you're right. Like, why is it there? Like, why should it be there? Like, there's no explanation for it at all, which is, I don't know, I think it's maybe a little bit better that it's just there and there's no explanation at all than, than trying to put an explanation that just doesn't help the game at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I don't know. But, like, I just, the feeling that, I feel like the feeling that they wanted to get across with Dark Souls 2 just never really, I feel like they never really fully succeeded at, at, at putting it into the game. Because, like, I remember watching all of the promo material for Dark Souls 2. They had all these cool, like, really, like, high-fidelity graphics um, CGI cutscenes that they were showing off as trailers with that, that guy in the in the, in the Baram armor set, I think, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he, was just, he would just be wandering through places by himself, looking around. And it was really giving off, like, a really creepy vibe to me. Um, and then... The, the, the that vibe just never really settled into the game. I feel like they were trying to do something with it, but they just never really like they were trying to do something with Dark Souls two, and they just never really quite got it right. And I feel like that's kind of supported by that big interview that came out afterwards with that with the director whose name I'm blanking on right now. Um, but I feel like it was just it was a, it was a troubled development cycle, and they just weren't able to get everything into the game that they wanted into the game. I, uh, you know, it's it going, we, we talk, talk about Dark Souls 3 having a terrible development history. Like, Dark Souls 2, if you get that Design Works book, they, they talk very specifically about, like, oh, yeah, we had to, like, completely trash everything we did and start from scratch, basically, like, in the middle of that development process. And then, yeah, like, so of course things don't come together. Like, it's just, that's just a difficulty of, of game, of making games. But I just wonder, like, Dark Souls 2 was so quick after Dark Souls 1. Like, g- like give those give those people, give that staff, like, you know, an extra year and s- let, let them come out with something 
that they're proud of that they and I'm sure they're proud of it. I don't want to take that away from them or anything, but you know, let them finish the, the game in the way that they want to, as opposed to trying to rush it out the door and then hey, you know, maybe you have something better than what you what you got. I don't know. Exactly, and uh, that's what I feel like Bloodborne kind of is. Is absolutely yeah, me too. Because um, I, I think if you track the development cycle of Bloodborne back, it's Dark Souls one releases, Artorias of the Abyss comes out, and then I think immediately after that they start working on both Dark Souls two and Bloodborne. And I think they're working on both of those games simultaneously. Um, I'm not sure if that's actually 100 percent true, but I feel like it would have to be because there's no way you're pumping out Bloodborne in like a year. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, Bloodborne just feels like, and it might just be also that they were more excited for Bloodborne because it was a new idea. So maybe there was more effort put into it and just because people were really excited to put out this brand new crazy idea. But Bloodborne comes out and I feel like Bloodborne is about as good as a From Software like Souls-like game has been since Dark Souls 1. Like, to me, the three games at the top of the pile are probably Demon Souls, Dark Souls 1, and Bloodborne, just because they're, I feel like they all have their own unique ideas, and Bloodborne really brings something to the table that the other games didn't before, which is, like, this, like, action. Like, they really focused on bringing the, the speed of the combat up a little bit, and, like, it's reflected not just in your movements, but, like, the enemies. Like, everything in that game moves way faster than everything did in the other games, like, they have crazier move sets. Everything, the, the animations are way more fluid. And and aside from monsters being made entirely of hair, are um, a lot easier to follow. <laughs> I feel like just because mm-hmm. there there's a lot they they have more fluid movements. And at least for me, it's a lot easier to to read that sort of thing. Like I can tell when an enemy is getting ready to do something because he has like a full animation to go through. As opposed to sometimes in Dark Souls games where enemies just kind of like throw out an attack out of nowhere and it feels like maybe that wasn't the best designed thing to do. But yeah, like Bloodborne to me is like probably, I think it might be my favorite. Like I really like Dark Souls 1, but Bloodborne is like, I, I, I it's just, it's like chef fingers, you know? It's, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a, you know, Bloodborne is a really interesting contrast to the Souls games because it feels like it was... It, it feels like a almost a direct sequel to Demon Souls more than anything else. And it feels like, hey, we got guys, like we've been working on this since Demon Souls and those other Dark Souls games, like these guys didn't work on this. Because it's it's so many so many steps forward and then it's also so many steps backwards from Dark Souls two. <laughs> like and it's and even Dark Souls one in some great like, you know, the the healing system, like the the blood vials is probably the most maligned thing about Bloodborne, and rightfully so. Like it's just a dumb you 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 perfected this in Dark Souls One. Why in Bloodborne are you you going backwards? But it really feels like yeah. it, it was developed and, and like <laughs> they took those guys from Demon Souls. And I know I, I, before nobody at me Twitter, don't nobody at me on this. I know game development doesn't work like this, but it it feels like it's a they just took those dudes from Demon Souls. It's like okay, now you're working on Bloodborne, and that's the game that we got, which is great. Like it's it feels really fresh and, and, and original, and still has all those like Souls DNA and all the way back to Kingsfield and and the like. But it's at the same time like there's so many steps backwards too so i but man i i I can't tell you how much how fun it is to play bloodborne like even today like loading up bloodborne and just moving around in that world is some of the most fun gameplay that out of any game out of any video game ever right like i can be a little hyperbolic with that yeah and like the weapons are great 
Uh, but just to touch on that healing thing for a second, like I've always been kind of like, I've always been a little bit fine with blood vials. Like I realize that they're not good compared to like S's flasks, but just to touch on something real quick on that, I really feel like make something, they're always trying to try new ideas of these games in that respect a little bit. Like in Dark Souls 2, you had the healing gems, which were a nice addition. I feel like I, I didn't really use them that much just because S's flasks were still there and they were, I mean, they're SS flasks. They're pretty much just, they're like a great go-to healing option. But um, with Blood Vials, it feels very much like an old, like, Super Nintendo game you would play where every time you kill an enemy, you have a chance of getting a health-like restoration thing. Like, it, it's it's very like, okay, I got to kill stuff to get my health back. And the whole game is, is kind of based around that concept. And even though it does fall apart, uh, as soon as they start introducing enemies that are just a little bit too tough to kill quickly. And like, cause I feel like the blood ball system really, really works quite well in that early game. Like when you're in Yarnum and literally there's just mobs of enemies. And every time you kill one of those mobs, you're getting back like two or three blood vials. So it starts off working just like a lot of other ideas in the game. And that as soon as they kind of settle a little bit more back into like the standard, like, like tougher enemies type of souls game. Like it really, really starts to fall apart. The same can be said of the, the regain system, which I think starts off being really cool and unique. And then later on just, isn't really, just isn't really as useful as it, as it wants to be, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, it, and because it's, it's broken on a lot of bosses. I think it's the major problem is that it works. Oh, yeah, it works. It works fine if you're working through mobs, but the moment that you get to say the cleric beast, and the cleric beast hits you and you go flying by the time you go, by the time you get up and go over like that, that, that regain opportunity is gone. So now you have to spend that, that blood vial. And it's not like in, and dark souls one, and this is kind of the beauty of dark souls one. I think you get to the point when you're fighting a boss where you, you're losing, you're like, you, you have nothing to lose, right? Like you're not even picking up your echoes, your, or excuse me, your souls anymore. Like you're just going to the Taurus demon, you're dying, you're going to the Taurus demon, you're dying. Like, and you're not losing anything. You, you start with that 10 Estus and you're fine. But in Bloodborne, like every time yeah. you do that, you're 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 losing <clears throat> a, a valuable commodity. So then you have to, oh, I have to take a break from this boss and go find or buy blood vials or grind to get the echoes to buy blood vials or or whatever. And it's just it's just an aggravation more than anything. So. Yeah, it's definitely tedious, and like I definitely put myself through that kind of stuff. But it's definitely um, it's definitely an annoyance to go back and grind for that sort of stuff. Um much like different people have different sensitivities to grinding. I'm usually fine with it, but it's definitely, it's better when you don't have to. And, and it's difficult I too, like, because yeah. uh, I know a lot of experienced players who are like, Oh, the, you know, the grind's not that bad. And it's not like now when I, when, if I start a new game of bloodborne, like I'm, I probably will never be in a position where I need to go grind for blood vials because I'm, I'm competent enough at the game to be able to move through it without, you know, having to die a bunch and having to repeat areas or what have you. Uh, but for a new player, and I've, I've, you know, there's several people that I that, that I talk to that are playing Bloodborne for the first time, and it's, you know, it, it could be just a, it's a mess, and they don't necessarily mind the grind, like they don't, they're like, oh, that it just sucks that I have to like take a break from the boss, and I think that's the the biggest problem. Yeah, yeah, it, it's just tedious, and like that's one of the things that I feel like they they need to work on with these games is getting rid of a lot of the tedious parts, like. Don't make me grind for blood vials, <laughs> you know. Like, like, just give me, give me five or ten every time I spawn, and then if I want to get twenty, let me, let me go find them or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Like put some of it, put some of it just all like, give me something every time at least. Cause it's, and it's like that with like anything, like don't make me spend hours grinding out tight night chunks in the, uh, in the new Londo just so I can upgrade my armor all the way, you know, <laughs> cause boy, that was, that was something. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have that root burned into my brain that like there's like there's like a farming a specific farming route you can do to get all of the dark rates and new londo and they have a chance to drop a titanite slab so of course if you want to have everything at maxed out upgrade level you go down there and you spend a ton of time just running through the area parrying them killing them as fast as possible and then hoping that they drop a titanite slab um and they just Never really figured that out in the games. I think Dark Souls 2 and Dark Souls 3 maybe have the easiest route to getting upgrade materials. Um, Bloodborne is just as bad. You maybe get one, I think. I think it's two now with the DLC. Or is it three? It's three with the, the DLC, full. yeah. Yeah. And you can buy them for 50 insight, so mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully you've been saving that up. Um, yeah, I don't this, know. This all goes back to my, my idea to fix Bloodborne. Um, which is that you always spawn with at least five blood vials, um, and but you can you know store twenty or whatever. But you always have five, uh, and then you don't upgrade weapons. You upgrade your weapon slots, and then any weapon you put in that slot that you have the stats for, you know, is a plus six or plus seven depending on how you've upgraded that slot. And uh, but the the issue with that I think is going to be like then what are you like playing the game for? Because after that, like there's really no. There's no loot in Bloodborne <laughs> once you get everything right. Like it's just it's really just materials or chalice materials. So that's and that's definitely a problem. But I've, I've always liked the idea of upgrading slots rather than upgrading a specific weapon because I want to be able to vary my playstyle. And I but I don't want to grind for you know blood chunks all the damn time so that I can upgrade this weapon that I may or may not like to, so I can test it out in New Game Seven, which my character is in. So yeah, it's frustrating. I, I feel like. It's definitely frustrating, especially because the weapons in Bloodborne are so cool, you want to try them all out. Um, but I feel like that slot idea is not bad. I, I, I think it actually, and this is something I thought of when I was playing Bloodborne, because they do have a lot of, a couple weapons that are just different, kind of different versions of the same idea. Like you got the Kirkhammer and the, the Holy Blade, which are both that one-handed sword, but in the second form, they're just, they're, one of them is a bigger sword and one of them is a hammer. Um, and my, my idea was for that was, like, maybe you get, like, the base part of the weapon. Like, you, you get, like, the sword, right? And then you can choose in, like, the weapon customization table. Like, okay, maybe I want to switch it to the hammer or I want to switch it to the sword. Yeah. But the upgrade materials kind of stay on the, the base part of it. So you kind of have that customization, but you still have the, you know, you still have the, the, the like, you can find, like, the, the saw spear and maybe you want to change it to the saw cleaver because it's maybe you like the pokey attacks different or something. I don't know. Like that, but I also feel like that's a lot of customization. And when you have weapons that are that detailed with move sets, like it's, it's tough to make it more changeable. Yeah, I agreed. It's, you know, what it is, it's really easy to, uh, armchair quarterback uh, a game development oh, yeah. <laughs> that took you know <laughs> three years and hundreds of people to design and and, and build and it's it maintained to this day etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah that's that's what that comes down to <laughs> yeah, i just think about like i just think about like how many ideas they must have thrown out and like what those might have been 
like I think there's some screenshots of early on and of, of like early Bloodborne where there's like some weapons that people are holding that just never came into the game. And like I think originally you were able to block with two-handed weapons, which just seems strange to me because that block button is the is the switch button. So what what do you what, like what button would that even have been? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's. It's just it's it's a lot to think about. Like, and I think we're lucky that we've gotten four of these games in the, over the span of what, like, five years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's a, that's crazy to me. I mean, add right. add Demon Souls into it, then you've got you know nine years, and you've got five major games, three, four of which had uh, major expansions, and one of which had a complete uh, like remaster, right? Like, I had a complete yeah. like redo with Scholar of the First Sin. And that's insanity for any game development studio. Yeah. Like, right? We, I mean, the people make jokes about Activision releasing a Call of Duty every year, but they have, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people in two studios, like basically, you know, tag teaming that that effort. So, not like that yeah. much content in that in that short of time frame just just floors me. Like, I'd, please take a break. You, you guys go on a vacation. <laughs> like, let me pay yeah. you to go on vacation. You, you guys deserve it. <laughs> well, that's kind of what they're doing now, right? Like, we, yeah. It's been a while since we've seen anything from From, really. Like, yeah. From as the game development studio, not From as, like... Because I think their their name's still going to be on the box of that Dark Souls remaster, but I don't think they're the ones actually working on it. No, they're not. They they farmed, Namco farmed that out to two different companies, uh, one for Switch yeah. and one for the other consoles. Uh, what, what do you want to yeah. see from From Software? Like, what are you looking forward to... Because we're uh, at the time of recording, uh, we've, we've got the remaster coming out next month. Um, we're E three is is kind of on the horizon. They've done that Shadows Die Twice thing. People are kind of thinking that that's either a Bloodborne thing, which I don't think it's a Bloodborne thing because I don't think they would have announced it at at a, at a video game awards ceremony. I think that would have been a Sony exclusive announcement. Um, but also, like you know, it could be people are thinking it's like a Kuan sequel, <laughs> like that weird horror game that they made. That I just it, this is way late because it's going to come out so late. But if anybody doesn't follow Theomini on Twitter, she's been doing a uh, Twitter LP of Kuan, and it is extraordinarily fascinating. So go go check that out. I'll see if I can link some of that in the show notes. But uh, yeah. what, what do you what do you personally want to see from that? Well, um, if you had asked me like two months ago, I would have just said I want I want them to do a remaster of dark souls one excellent but, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting that which i'm i'm happy about um regardless of what it is it's dark souls and i could play it on my playstation 4 so beware people who've never played dark souls before because i'm going to be invading you in the berg with a big weapon nice. um but <laughs> but um the i i don't know like you've said before on this podcast like that you want to see like a western game um I think that that would be really cool, like Western, but with maybe with like some of the Gothic, like Western Gothic style thing would be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole Shadows Die Twice thing, like I don't think they announce it like that and it's not kind of a type of Souls sort of game. Like I just don't see them putting, like if it was a, if it was a completely new thing, I think it probably would be like less fanfare involved. Like they know what people are waiting for. I think so it's got to be something souls like, and I kind of hope that it's, I kind of hope it's a brand new idea. Like maybe it could be a Kulon game. That would be cool. But I, I kind of hope it's just something that we have no idea what it is. Like we, we just can't even like, like I want something to blow us away in the way that Bloodborne blew us away, you know, like just a completely new idea that nobody's expecting. Yeah. Same. 
that would be ideal. That would be the the best thing. I'm curious. Uh, over the course, so you've been playing Dark Souls since Dark Souls One came out. Just about. Um, do you think over the course of that time frame that Dark Souls has changed you in any kind of way, or do you think that it's like, um, altered your perception either personally or just with video games or or what have you? Uh, well, in some ways, I suppose. Like Dark Souls, definitely. Like when I like I play video games a lot of the time when I I'm having like if I'm having any trouble mentally, video games are a good way to like maybe hash out some things whether regardless of what that means as far as like if i'm feeling a little bit under the weather like video games is a good escape but as far as changing me like um yeah i would say so but in a weird roundabout way like without dark souls um i wouldn't have really gotten myself involved in a lot of online communities and uh getting involved in those communities like especially through um through Bonfireside Chat is how I eventually got involved with um, the Duckfeed community. Through I'm just I'm a Patreon supporter and like I'm I'm on Slack. Um, but um, yeah, like just being online in those communities has kind of helped me be a better person in a weird way. So I guess I have to thank Dark Souls for that partially because I'm a lot more socially conscious now that I'm in communities with people who are socially conscious. So and I would never have gotten that without without these games. So I suppose that's true. It's weird to think that this um, horrible, super difficult video game has changed like so many people's lives for the better in that in that kind of way. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the game brings people together through the obscurity because people need to talk to other people about it, right? And exactly. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, you encounter other good people while you're doing that because I definitely have, and I'm grateful. Well, Jacob, thank you very much for, for getting up early on a Saturday morning and podcasting with me. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh, can you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet, should they choose to do so? Uh, um, well, I am in the Duckfeed Slack, um, so I, I just hang out in there. You've probably seen me in there arguing over things. Um, <laughs> um, I'm there as, I think I'm in there as, as Xander Wheel, so, or something along those lines. Um so I'm, I'm always in there. Um, I have Twitter, but I don't really use it to, um, I don't really use it. I pretty much just use it to follow content creators. So, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, I don't really have an online uh, presence at this point. Um, and I, I, I don't really have anything else to, to say in regards to that. Cool. Well, yeah. thank you again for guesting. I very much appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. It's been an experience. <laughs> As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. That has links to uh, iTunes, so you can leave some reviews. It has links to all of the other services that the podcast is on. It has links to the Patreon, so if you want to support the show, that's an easy way to do it directly. But also has a link to the shirt that I put out, so if you want to wear put a skelly on your belly, that is the place to do so. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for leaving iTunes reviews. And thank you to the patrons. Uh, It's very much appreciated. And remember, everybody, don't give up, skeleton. Is uh, is, is put a skelly on your belly the prototype of the podcast? It just... I think I, I don't remember if I said it or I, I wrote it in a tweet the other day, and now it's one of those like memes and I, in my head. I can't, it's like an earworm that I can't get out, so I just have to say it. And every time I say it, it puts the biggest.